enjoy it, um, but we don't want to let the day go by without uh, really just the message of that video uh, ringing out a little bit because um, that's a big deal, um, what people have endured on behalf of this country, what family members and spouses have endured um, on behalf of this country. Um, just the other day, I was driving through, we didn't have this in mind, we were just going to see the castle in the back of the cemetery, but through Highland uh, Cemetery, um, I think that's what it's called, in the back, if you go back far enough, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little white gravestones um, of people who died uh, in the great wars um, from this area. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just so surprising um, how many there are. And if you get close enough to a lot of them, as we did, we, we drove by, and you'll see a lot of, on a lot of them, it just says unknown soldier. Uh, they don't even know the name. And so uh, it's just crazy to think that people, so many people, thousands and thousands of people have given their lives, have lost their lives, um, lost their identities in memory, um, so that what's left of them is just a simple stone um, um, with unknown soldier on it. It's pretty remarkable. And so listen, um, again, if you have served or if you know someone who has served, thank you and please pass on your gratitude for them and their families for what they have gone through on behalf um, of our country. And so be mindful of that through, uh, through your celebrations today. We also want to call your attention to just a few things. One, uh, you probably noticed the guy wandering around uh, taking pictures that kind of uh, caught me off guard. And if any of you, you know, pulled out your nine for just a second, put it away, it's fine. It's just a guy taking pictures, okay? Um, and he's going to be doing that for a while. Uh, he's going to be just snapping some pictures. We're just trying to update our website. Um, if you've gone to it, then you know why we're updating our website. Uh, you know why we need new pictures. And so um, that's all that is. Um, you'll probably see him again at some point in time. Um, and then lastly, uh, I don't see her in here today, but uh, Jennifer Kirkham, as we head into summer, uh, is stepping out of the Buddy Ministry, and she's led that ministry for, I think, five or so years now. And this was a special ministry to some special little people, my son included, with just some unique needs. Um, and so we're just celebrating her today. We've got a gift for her that we'll get to her, um, but we just want to let her know uh, how much we're grateful for her and her team um, and what they've done. Um, again, just talk about giving up uh, for some special, special little dudes. And so uh, we are grateful for her, grateful for that team. And so if you see Jennifer at any point in time uh, through the course of this day, would you please uh, just let her know that you're grateful for her. I think she's working downstairs. Is that right, Troy? Uh, she's working downstairs right now, um, closing out her final Sunday down there. And so we're just, we're just very grateful for her. And uh, pass that along, will you? Uh, we'll pass it along to your wife. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Oh, I have to mention too as well, I think Lila and Margarita, is this your last Sunday with us? Very last Sunday. Okay, so if you didn't know this, the Johnsons have hosted uh, these foreign exchange students, um, Margarita from Italy and Lila from Germany, and they've been with us this entire school year, and they're going back home uh, this week, I think. So it's been really fun to get to know you guys. I hope you've really enjoyed it. And I heard that one of, the, one of your favorite experiences was Culver's, is that right? It's like your favorite thing. Okay, good. That's uh, a good deposit that America has given to you. And so go home <laughs> with the joy of Culver's in your hearts. Um, but listen, we're grateful for you guys, and it's been, it's been really fun having you. Why don't we have a time of, of prayer, and then we'll jump into Mark chapter 6. Our God, thank you so much uh, for uh, just your provision. Um, Father, there's risks to just living. There's just risks to this world that we live in, and um, we can't barely get through a day without something happening, without something really um, um, just bothering our lives, bothering people that we know. God, it's just tough. 
And you said in this world we're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so that's our hope today, that as we take an honest look at the risks that come with just following you and just surviving in general, God, that we would understand and find great comfort in your provision along the way. God, give us the strength and the mind and the understanding to know uh, the comfort of your provisions, of your promises, even when life gets hard. And would you be glorified in it all and make us more like Jesus as a result. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now, um, to change the tone a little bit, I, I, I know we're not supposed to say hate ever in church, right? Or ever in general. Hate's not a good word, but I hate stretching. And I'm going to say the word. I hate stretching, right? Is anybody else with me? Okay. No, some people, yeah, yeah, Okay. I heard a few amens, so I'm with you, right? Stretching is hard. And the older you get, the harder it gets, but the more you need it. So it's a tough relationship that I have with stretching. I believe in it. Like, if you care about mobility and blood flow, you know, and general health, I suppose you probably should believe in it. But I still don't practice it very well. It's very hard for me to commit to. And I say this as somebody who's pushing 40, which some of you are like, wow, he's still a baby. And I was like, yeah, I feel that way sometimes, but not when it comes to my body, right? I still try to work out three or four times a week. I still play golf. I still try to jump on the trampoline with my kids, which is miserable. Very, very hard, right? I still try to stay active. But the more active I am, I mean, just take this equation, for example, like all of that activity, but if you subtract stretching, and like, let's be fair, add a few unnecessary pounds to the mix, because that's my reality, right? Like what you are left with is just pain. It's just pain, lots of regret as well, mainly pain, right? It's just the pain that comes from not stretching. When you could have just endured the moment of discomfort, the moment of pain ahead of time to spare yourself of the bigger pain coming later, right? The principle of stretching is something you all understand, and it's solid, a little pain now ahead of the game will make you more productive through the game and feel better after the game. It's a simple principle. But in the same way that physical stretching improves our physical mobility and our physical health, you know this. We also go through seasons of spiritual stretching for our improvement of spiritual mobility and spiritual health. Dare I say, God will even allow these things to happen, even cause them to happen sometimes for your good and for my good as well, right? And so what we see here is Jesus overtly send his 12 closest dudes, like his 12 guys into a setting of ministry that is anything but easy. It's difficult. The context is even hostile at times, and he sends them with no provisions. We'll read the story in just a minute, but isn't that wild that Jesus would actually send his guys into that setting, but he does so with great purpose. First of all, he's teaching them an invaluable lesson, which is this, that no matter what you're going through, no matter how little you have, no matter how insufficient uh, you feel, his provision is there for you. And if you are doing what you are doing in obedience to him, he'll give you what you need to do it. And we take great hope and comfort in that promise of his provision. But he also is doing it for another reason. 
Jesus is doing it to prepare them for another time, another game, and when things get really real. Because at some point in time, Jesus isn't going to be on the earth with these guys, right? He's going to die, he's going to rise from the grave, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And these guys are going to be on the earth by themselves to establish the church. And things are going to get very real at that time. And so Jesus is giving them a difficult situation, a stretching situation, so that they can be stretched into the men that God wants to use for the establishment of his church, right? So it's a lesson in trust. And it's also uh, a preparation for what's to come. And so let's read Mark 6, um, looking at verses 7 through 13. I'm going to invite Ruth Peelman up, who's going to read our passage today. Is she here? Oh, so it's Chris Mathis, not Ruth Peelman. They don't look anything alike, actually. Yeah, so Chris Mathis is reading our passage today. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7, going through verse 13. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, would you please stand in honor? Good morning. Sorry about that. (laughs) It's okay. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake that dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Keep your spot there in Mark chapter 6. Um, We're also going to go to Matthew 10 and uh, Luke 9 at some point in time and look at those accounts of the same story here because we see a few different things emphasized um, from that roundabout perspective. So over the next two weeks, uh, over the next two weeks, this week included, what we're going to look at is the first portion of this passage, verses 7 through 13. We're looking at verses 7 uh, through 9 today and just really looking at the context in which Jesus put these guys into and why he did it. Right? And then next week, uh, Seth, who is also the photographer that you're seeing wander around the building today, uh, one of our elders, he's actually going to preach and, and lead us through the following uh, uh, verses in that passage where he looks at just the message that they carried and some of the details of their journey. But for today, there are four details that I want to point out. Four details that really invite us into acknowledging kind of this risk provision relationship of following Jesus. That to follow Jesus Christ, there will be risks that we must incur and things that we will experience. But there is a coinciding and greater provision from God that carries us through anything we could possibly uh, go through. Our list is only four today. There's a million things that you could possibly go, uh, go through, a million risks you can incur from following Jesus Christ just based on your life and where he has you. But you need to know and we need to believe that he has a provision there for you as well. Because he's our sovereign God and he is sovereignly over all of it. And he won't call you to something that he has not readied, readied for you. And he'll get you ready for that position that he's called you to. And so the first detail we want to look at doesn't really pop off the pages in chapter 6. And so we're going to use Matthew chapter 10, right? In Mark chapter 6, we really only see a few lines. 
in Jesus' instructions to, uh, to these guys about them going and doing ministry. But in Matthew chapter 10, you have the entire chapter, right? The entire chapter of Matthew t- chapter 10 is Jesus giving instructions for these men about how they are to carry out this ministry. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Again, same story, just a different gospel account. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And that's implying his power, right? You've, I've been give, I have freely given you my power and now freely use my power. And so there's the sending, right? Not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, but to the Jews. Now just to understand, like this is not a great context in which he is sending them. Because even up to this point, it's been kind of clear. The Jews aren't welcome, uh, welcoming Jesus' message, They're not very open to this. And so we see even further into chapter 10 how how difficult, how hostile this journey could actually be for these guys. Now listen to this. We're just going to skim through now. Look at verse 16 and 17. Those will be on the screen. Verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Right? That doesn't sound safe. Therefore be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. Verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Verse 23, when they persecute you, not if, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Why even give that warning if that wasn't a risk? Verse, 10, uh, uh, verse 38, Classic, classic passage here that we pull on a lot, but don't give near enough time to usually. Jesus says, whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Right? The first detail we've got to understand here is that Jesus is willingly and overtly, overtly putting these men into a context of great difficulty, of serious difficulty, serious hostility. And it's such a big detail that we're going to spend most of our time talking about that this morning. Notice, Jesus didn't send them to Gentile regions or to Samaritan areas, but to preach the message of Jesus, the message of repentance to the Jews, a people group that has been proven already up to this point in Mark 6 to not take to the message well, to respond harshly, which is why they're going to be imprisoned and flogged in synagogues and persecuted, through which Jesus says, you're going to get a taste of what it means to take up the cross and follow me. You're going to get a taste of the suffering. Now, we know that what they experience in this setting is just a taste because of what they're going to experience after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension is the full deal. I mean, we know that each one of these men would eventually endure immense suffering and rejection and death as a result of their remarkable following after Jesus and establishing in his church and and leaving us their timeless example of of following Christ that we're leaning into today. Their teaching and it's their example. I mean, we're, we're still moved by it. See, God's provision was eternal over this matter. They gave their lives. They lived it out. They suffered. 
But God's provision was still there for them because they did it with hope. They did it with gladness in their hearts. They did it with with gratitude to God, and now they're in glory. We have such a tendency to measure God's provision in our times of stretching with dollars and comforts and peace, material peace. We should be measuring these things in fulfillment and promise based upon what he has said and done. And if you're in a difficult season now, regardless of the cause, don't measure it based on the tangibilities of the, of the situation, based on the material blessing and the physical health. Don't measure it based on that, but on the spiritual fulfillment that God wants for you, on the way that you are growing to become like Jesus Christ and on the promise that he's gonna use all of that for your spiritual integrity. People become more like Jesus through seasons of stretching than anyone else or than, than anything else. And so it's interesting as Christians why we so adamantly avoid stretching seasons. This is why James says in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, and you, know, you knew I was going here, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Man, what a promise. What a promise that, that, that you can consider it joy when you go through hardship, knowing that it's making you more like Jesus. Man, that's good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Right? Those are just a few of the low-hanging fruit promises in the scripture. You could, there's hundreds and hundreds more that assure us of God's provision if we obey him and if we do what he's called us to do. And I think when we embrace the stretching seasons while holding to the promises of God for fulfillment and purpose and joy, then even in material loss and, and physical loss, even in death, what it has the potential to create is the most beautiful picture of God's provision that you can imagine. Imagine it. Content people living with purpose, unbound by the shackles of materialism, able to endure hardship. And though they might have tears in their eyes at some times, they always have a, a smile on their face and this confidence of joy in Christ no matter what they're confronted with. How does that happen? It happens when people understand the risk that they're going into. They don't have to be oblivious to it. But in that risk, they're able to surrender it to God's beautiful provision and promise for fulfillment and for hope. That's the anchoring thing that we have in Christ Jesus. It is so bizarre, right, that a lot of people look in on Christianity and what they see is a nervous body of frantic, hectic victims. Like that's what a lot of people see in the church, just a lot of just frantic victims running around as if nothing is ever going right for us when we have the hope of Christ in our lives. It makes no sense, and we are presenting a terrible picture of who Jesus is to the world when that's how we live our lives. Now, we also see in this passage another risk, and I love this detail. And In my mind, I see this as just pure grace uh, on, on Jesus' part. Verse 7, he summoned the 12. This is back in Mark chapter 6, by the way. He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs. We'll just stop there, right? He sent them out in pairs. Isn't that really nice of Jesus to do? Have you ever tried to do anything of like huge, immense, like, like just big, 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 but had to do it all yourself? That's a miserable spot to be in. 
There's no fun in that at all. And not only is it that, like you're probably likely to just be physically ill afterwards and you'll probably need to stretch some more, right? Because stretching's so good for you. He sent his disciples out and he sent them out in pairs so that they could bear the experience with one another. I think you guys know this. There's nothing in the Christian life that is to be done by yourself. There's really nothing in our Christian walk that is to be done alone. I think the only argument against that could probably be the argument for just a personal quiet time. Like in your personal quiet time, in your time of silence and solitude with God, like maybe that's the time where it's just about you. But listen, even in that time, if that time is not making you more like Jesus, and as more like Jesus you become, the more you care and love and want to be a light to others, then what good is it? See, at the end of the day, everything we do is for people. Everything we do is for people. Jesus' attitude is spoken about in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, God, became man, gave up everything. And he lives a life of servanthood. And the Bible says that he considered others better than himself. Better than himself. He, he considered others' interests as more than his own. This was his attitude. Now, let's be honest. Christian relationships are hard. Like, the hardest relationships in my life are the Christian ones. I don't know what it is, but it's very hard. I am most likely to get frustrated at my Christian friends. I am most likely to be at odds with, with the Christians in my life. And honestly, for some of you here, you hear a pastor preach about like how we need each other and how we need to be a part of small groups and we need to uh, have all this community with one another and you just start to panic inside. Because in your heart, you feel like I've tried that, I've been burnt, I don't need that anymore. And so we circle up in these bubbles of just people who are exactly like us, who think and live exactly like us, who are the same age as us and we assume that we're achieving everything that God has for us in community. Now listen, if you're here and you have anxiety pulsing even right now as we talk again about community and small groups and all that kind of stuff, I am very sorry for what has ever happened. And I too understand how hard it is to really commit yourself to a community. It's hard. Kenzie and I just dealt with this when we started our, our small group, uh, this next phase of small groups. Like we had to pray, we had to commit, we had to go in understanding that it's not all going to be about us and it's going to come with some sacrifice and it's going to come with some hardship. But listen, we did it, we're in it, we obeyed him into it. Has it been worth it? Yeah, it is every time. I don't know why we get so locked up every, every time we have the, uh, the opportunity to do it, but it's always worth it. The reason I think it comes so hard for people to give themselves to that kind of community is one, you got to make room in your heart and in your schedule. And just some people are already ruled out right there. They say they want it because philosophically they know they should because they're Christian. But when it comes to making room in their hearts to be like, I really want to enter in this and I need to trust God to give me what I need to enter in. And when it comes to making room in your schedules, people just don't really want to do that. It cracks me up when we get small groups, like people want to sign up for small groups. And so they're like, yeah, I'm really excited. I really want to go. But I only am available on Fridays from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's my only time available. You don't have a spot for me? Well, I'm leaving then. I'm mad at you guys. You, why don't you want me to be a part of small groups? Why don't you find a group leader to come to me on Friday nights from 9 to 10? Like that's that's an exaggeration. That's not how they all go. But sometimes I think that's what's going on inside, right? 
It's kind of hard. By the way, if you only have one hour a week, like seriously, one hour a week available, you must be the most important person in the world. Like seriously. You must be, like you need to come up here and start preaching right now. Like we need to hear from you. How do you do it and stay alive? Or you just don't really want this. That's the other, alter, the other option. You say you do, you don't give anything up for it, you don't really want it. The other reason why it is so hard is because to enter in and to commit to community and to commit to relationship like that, you've got to just not make it about you. And this comes so hard for people, myself included. Jesus, Jesus said to consider others' interests more than your, than your own, to consider others' needs as more than your own. And when we get this out of balance and when we walk into any setting thinking, am I going to get what I want here, then the whole thing is corrupted. You have no capacity for anyone who's not like you. You have no capacity for the wild card personality or the weirdo that's bound to be in every small group. And every small group has a weirdo, right? Like, I think I'm the one in our group. Every group has that guy or that girl. Like, it just, it just comes with it. But to get to the place in our minds where it's like, well, I don't want to be a part of that or I don't want to do this because that guy's weird or they're bound to say this or whatever, like, immediately we start compromising what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12. Now listen to this because this is going to sting. As it is, there are many parts but one body. That I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, the weird guy, the wild card personality, they are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. That's a little convicting, isn't it? We have such a tendency to be like subtly judgmental in the way that we approach community, subtly thinking about our own interests, that we don't have time for people who aren't going to think or say or talk like we want to think or say or talk. That's not for me. I think there's more that God wants for us in the tough relationships. Iron sharpens iron. That's never a comfortable experience, but it's always needed. And if we strike out all the time on community, if you're just one of those people who's just never found the right fit, I mean, at some point, you've got to look at the common denominator. At some point, you have to understand, am I approaching this the right way? Is the church really filled with 400 people who hate me? Or is it possible that I'm approaching this the wrong way? If everyone works out for each other, if everyone looks into these things for one another, then no one is without need. And listen, if you're here and you feel alone in your spiritual walk, I am sorry about that. You need to understand that other people feel the exact same way. As Jesus did, enter in. Consider others as better than yourselves. Commit to him that you're going to enter in and you're going to love on some people in the same way that you hope to be loved. And you know what? I think a lot of times when you do that, God will give you what you really need. And you might not feel the same way anymore. You think Jesus probably could have sent all of his disciples out one by one. Hit 12 different regions, right? Double up on the impact here. That sounds like a great plan except it comes with the giant risk of burning out your most valuable dudes. To go into a land by yourself and try to do crazy ministry that people aren't going to receive and to bear it alone? I'm not sure he would have had many disciples coming back to share anything good about it. That's the way of ministry, isn't it? 
Let's double up our impact and spread everybody out. Like just, just like use the few and the willing and just run them into the ground. Like just totally run them into the ground. And then be confused why everything doesn't just work out, why they get burned out, why they don't want to be a part of the ministry anymore. See, Jesus sets a beautiful example here. And it's just in that one line. He sends them out by twos. He sends them out by twos to love and to share and to experience and to endure ministry together. And I would guess that they weren't perfect personality matches. But when that's all you have, then it's really good. And I think that's how we need to see the church. The other detail, and the last one, not the last, second to last, that we're going to acknowledge um, today is simply this. Let's read on, uh, starting in verse 7 once again. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, I love that detail because who in their... Who in their power has any ability to cast out anything? But Jesus, in his power, he gives them his power so that they can perform the ministry that he calls them to. And this is the, uh, uh, the risk of just limitation, of self-insufficiency, of just total helplessness. You've ever felt that risk in your Christian life, in your walk? I think in Luke chapter 9, it says it a little, a little clearer, even though I think you probably get the point. Verses 1 and 2, the same story, just Luke's account. Jesus called the 12 together, and then he gave them power, and he gave them authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. He gave them a dispensation of his power to do what he's called them to do. Things, by the way, that they've never done before. They've never preached, they've never healed, they've never cast out demons. They've never done any of that. Can you imagine how intimidated they must have felt when Jesus was like, hey, you're going to go do all this stuff. Yeah, you're coming, right? <laughs> so like, no, I'm not coming. You're doing it by yourself. How are we going to do this? I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to do it through you. And it's not your power, it's mine. But I'm going to do it through you. It's awesome, right? He does not put us in places of ministry. He doesn't call us to things that he's not going to give us what we need to do it. He's not going to do that to you. If he's calling you to it, even if what's right in front of your face is your total helplessness and your total insufficiency in and of yourself, but you know without a doubt he's calling you to it, take the step, proceed, and he'll give you what you need to take every step following. He will. That's the promise of his provision. Lastly, I want us to see this detail, and this detail is wild to me. Verse 8, right? Not only is it a tough context and that, you know, uh, not only just all of the risks that we've already acknowledged, but then in verse 9, or verse 8, he says, he instructed them to take nothing for the road except the staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on an extra shirt, no material provisions. You're going into a, uh, a region that is tough. You're only going to have your buddy with you, right? You're going to be doing things that you can't do. You need me to do them through you. And also, you're going to have nothing. No home, no food, no extra clothes, no money, nothing. Take nothing with you. Why? Again, Jesus is teaching them the critical, critical teaching point. When you have nothing, but if you have the Lord, you still have everything you need. It's the main point. And so he sent his disciples out with delegated power to heal and preach and drive out demons, all of the things they've never done before, through which he gets the glory, through which they get 
the immense joy of knowing that their work is empowered by God himself and is benefiting the eternal kingdom. There is no greater joy than that. I say that all the time. There is no greater joy than knowing that your life aligns perfectly with what God wants for you. It's interesting, in Luke chapter 22, we'll start to wind down here. In Luke chapter 22, uh, Jesus is nearing his death. And one of the, uh, the last conversations he has is, is he reminds them of this experiment. He reminds the disciples of this time whenever he sent them out in pairs, right? And so in Luke chapter 22, verse, starting verse 35, we see this. He said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Their response, not a thing. Not a thing. Verse 36, then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it. And also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And then he quotes the Old Testament. It says, and he was counted among the lawless. Right? Yes, what was written back then about me is coming to fulfillment. Basically, it was written about Jesus that he was going to be charged. He was going to be charged as a criminal and then executed as such. And it was coming to fulfillment. And he's telling his disciples, grab your things. Like, I taught you the lesson, right, of my sovereign provision, but now don't be stupid with the things I have given you. Gather them, use them, and use them wisely for the ministry that I've called you to. And they don't get it, right? Because in verse 38, they're like, look, we got two swords. Like, we're ready to go to army. Like, we're ready ready to go to army. Ready to go to battle, right? That's not what Jesus was saying. He's not calling them to battle, which, to be fair, I think that is... A misunderstanding here. I think the word sword does us a disservice, right? Because when we read sword, we think Jesus is calling them to arms. I think, I think of the, the sword and a half. I just watched too many like medieval knight movies. Like I just think of just this giant sword. But this wasn't a sword. In the Greek, this is a dagger. It's a long knife that most men carried with them, right? I used a knife probably 15 times last week, and it was never to kill someone as far as you know, right? It was never to hurt anyone. It was to pick rocks out of my shoes and to cut my food. Like, it was just like for random things like that. It's a multi-tool. Jesus isn't calling them to, to, to warfare. He's calling them to be wise with what he's given them, with the provision that he's already provided. Trust me with everything that you need. But what I have given you, use it wisely. Be a good steward of what it is. Actually, he says it kind of like that earlier, right? Be innocent as doves, but shrewd as snakes. Like, yes, be righteous, be innocent, but don't be stupid about it, right? Use what I've given you wisely. And man, I just think of all the things that we have covered this morning, we've covered a lot. That's such a good reminder, isn't it? To trust God completely with our needs, to trust in his provision, to trust and provide everything that we could ever possibly need to survive. And if he has already given us something, use it wisely. Be a good steward. Don't be flippant about it. Use it. And if the combo effect is there, man, you will have a sharp ministry that is used for him mightily as long as he permits That's good. That's where I want to be. I want to be in that place of complete trust and good stewardship so that whatever he calls of me, 
that I'm able to see it through. I'm able to hear him and see it through as effective as possible because of my trust and my confidence in him. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that. I'm pretty far from that, but that's who I want to be. What a greater reminder for all of us as well. I'm curious if anyone in here feels lacking today. Your loneliness is square in your view. You feel like you're going it alone. You feel like you don't have anything in and of yourself to do what God has just called you to do. Right? I would imagine anybody who just has a newborn, like their first newborn, and then just leaves the hospital with this living being, like I would imagine that's the feeling you have, right? How am I supposed to do this? Well, I gave you that child. I'll give you what you need to take care of him or her. Crazy, isn't it? That he calls us to these things. He, this is part of our lives. I think as Christians, sometimes this actually does happen, and we, we just aren't living in awareness of it to see that he actually is providing for our lives in a way that we are not even like acknowledging. And so I hope today that in your places of lacking that you might acknowledge him, or, uh, invite him in, right? That you might trust him, trust his provision, trust his promises, and then that you might express some gratitude for the way that he has provided, that he has cared, and in the places of your life where he has so come through for you, and you haven't yet even seen, the, seen it. Like, you, 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 you're, you're okay and you're a well right now, like right now, but he did something remarkable to get you to that point, that maybe today is just a day of gratitude for you. Just to be like, God, thank you. Like, I don't know if I've officially thanked you for this thing yet, but thank you for providing for me and for bringing me to this place and for using me as a result. Thank you. So I don't know what today needs to look like for you. There's going to be a few things on the screen for our reflection time. Those are just soft pulls, like for whatever, if you, if you need it. But if God has just lifted that one buoyant thing to the top of our time today, and that's what's in your heart and in your head, pray over that thing. Pray over that thing. Invite God into that. Trust his promise. Trust his provision. Thank him for it. And listen, if you struggle, if you're struggling in any of these places, this is your time to just have that out with him, to handle it with him, and to just let him give you that word that you need to hold with hope his great provision and his great promises. And so we're going to go into a time of reflection. This time is yours. We're just going to take a few minutes of prayer, and then we'll close in prayer together. Good morning, everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend, and I uh, hope you got some good plans this weekend and uh, Monday as well. But we don't want to uh, uh, let this day go by without uh, at least just taking a moment to honor um, just what Memorial Day is all about and the people who um, have uh, given up a lot uh, on behalf of this country, namely those who have lost their lives and the family members of those, uh, of those folks who have lost their lives on behalf of this country. And so... Um, I was actually, it was not, it was a few weeks ago, I was driving with my girls through Highland Cemetery over here uh, on the east side, and if you go far enough back in that cemetery, there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little white uh, stones uh, marking uh, the graves of, of many, 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 many people who lost their lives during the Great Wars, and so it was a nice kind of homeschool moment, you know, with our kids to just kind of let them know what happened and just kind of talk about that, but it was just striking how many of them uh, said unknown soldier on them. 
right, is there marking the memory of someone, but nobody knows who that someone is. And so even more than giving up their lives, they give up almost their identities in memory, you know, uh, on behalf of this country. So the sacrifice is real. Um, and so, you know, those of you who, uh, who you know that, you grew up in military families, um, you've married a military person, you have a military child, um, however that that sacrifice has entered into your life, thank you. Uh, seriously, from the bottom of our hearts, we know that's a big deal, and we want to honor you uh, today. Um, and so, please, please receive that. Um, we also want to just call your attention to just a few things before we get going uh, in our time today. All, like, we have a lot of things coming up uh, here in the ministry. We've got kids camp this week. We've got um, collections going on. So just grab your bulletin, kind of stay tuned with what we have um, um, in the mix here at FBN if you want to know um, how to stay up to date, all that stuff. Every, all the information is there uh, in, the, uh, in the bulletin. Um, also, if you're here and you're a guest, uh, we really would love to get to know you. Um, we say that all the time, but we meet it every time. Uh, we'd love the opportunity to just meet you, shake your hand, uh, hear a little bit about your story. And so the best way uh, to set that up is to fill out a guest card, which are around you in the seat backs. You can just fill that out, drop it off at our Connect desk right out here at this entrance, and uh, we'd be glad uh, to follow up with you, just get to know you. Um, so if you would allow us that opportunity, we'd love that. And then lastly, uh, I want to just go ahead and say this, and she's going to hate this because I, I know how she is, but we have Jennifer Kirkham here with us today. She, she led our buddy ministry. Um, and she's going to be stepping out of that going into the summer. Um, but I just wanted to publicly acknowledge her um, and her leadership in setting up that team and just that special ministry for a few really special people, my son included. And so, Jennifer, thank you. And can we just give her a hand? As she, as she shakes her head at me, because I know that she never does anything for, um, for, for an applause, but she just does it out of the goodness of her hearts. But thank you for that season. Five years or so, I think, right? Five plus years. Yeah, so thank you so much. So we're grateful for that. Let's pray and let's have our time in the Word this morning. God, thank you so much. Let's pray for Jennifer and just this new, uh, uh, this, this summer, God, that there would just be refreshment in her heart and in her family as they enter into a new season. Um, thank you so much uh, for the labor of her love uh, on behalf of this ministry. Um, God, we pray for uh, the family members and um, um, just those who, who are, who are close-knit with people who have uh, given up so much on behalf of this country and behalf of the freedoms that we enjoy today. I pray, um, God, that you would just bless them, um, give them comfort today. And God, we do pray um, that as we look into Mark chapter 6, that you would just supply us all we need. Though we love our privileges and we love our freedoms, we also want to be ready, ready to give it all up um, for you, God. You are the, your son is the perfect picture of sacrifice. And we want to be able to, to readily step into places of sacrifice and hardship and trouble if it means proclaiming your name and advancing your kingdom. So God, just give us what we need to hear you, um, to follow after you, um, and to champion your kingdom um, with our lives. And we ask that you would just do that in the powerful name of Christ and in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, uh, if you have your spot in Mark chapter 6, go there. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 9 today, looking at verses 7 through 13 this weekend and next week. And so we'll read that in just a moment. But in the meantime, um, I realize we're not supposed to say hate ever, right? That's a bad word. That's a no-no word, but I'm still going to say it. I hate stretching, right? Does anybody feel that way? Yeah, great. That's about the response I've gotten with this every service so far. 
right? So I'll pick a different intro next time, but I'm still rolling with it because I don't have anything else right now, okay? So stretching, it's miserable. Like I, I just can't stand it. I've always had a hard time doing it, but the older I get, and I'm pushing 40 now, right? Which I know some of you are, you're like, that's chump change. And I was like, I get that, right? But it doesn't feel like it in my knees because I'd never spent my life stretching. <laughs> that's the problem. So I'm pushing 40. I'm still trying to work out like three or four times a week. I still try to play basketball once a week. Uh, I still golf a lot. Like I'm still trying to do a lot. I still try to jump on the trampoline with my kids, which just doesn't make any sense, does it, kids? Like it's just miserable for me. And you guys know it. And you still put me in that position. So we'll talk about that later, okay? But it's just, it's just a part of my life. It's part of your life too. And you know, when you take all of that activity, all that activity, and you subtract stretching, you know what you have left? I think to be fair, like subtract stretching, add a few extra pounds that don't need to be there, right? That's my situation. But you subtract stretching, and what do you have left? Like just lots of pain and lots of regret. That's like my life right now, right? Just lots of soreness, lots of pain. But the principle stands, I believe in stretching. I just need to do it more. The principle stands. The more you can incur now, the little bit of pain and patience that it requires to stretch now to make you more productive in the game, it'll also make you more productive after the game. The principle is solid. It's good, right? And you know the same principle applies to your spiritual life as well. Now, there's a lot of teaching out there that'll say God will never give you anything you can't handle, right? God wants you to just like coast through life, like, like God just wants you to be the most blessed, rich, you know, successful person in the world. You know, there are times when God will actually bestow upon you a season of stretching, and it does not feel good, and it does hurt, and it does fortify your soul. It does add to the strength and integrity of your spiritual condition. In the same way physical stretching helps your mobility and helps your physical health, spiritual stretching helps your spiritual mobility and your spiritual health. It will be a part of this life. It will happen. No matter the cause, and I'm a firm believer that no matter what the hardship is that you're going through, every hardship, whether it's because of your own stupidity or whether it's because of something you had no control over, every hardship is an opportunity for that stretching to become something that is adding to your spiritual integrity. Everyone. And here in our passage today, we see Jesus thrust 12 of his closest dudes, like 12 of his closest friends into ministry that is chaos, hostile, difficult, and very, 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 very hard. And he willingly puts them into it knowing that this season, this experiment, this experience of stretching is going to ready them for what's coming. And it's going to teach them this vital lesson, which is this that there is no hardship that you can endure now that God's provision won't cover. His sovereign provision is over you. It will cover you no matter what. If what you are doing is in obedience to him, his provision will be there for you. And in that case, we don't need to worry. Right? So it's a beautiful story, but it is kind of chaotic just a little bit. And so we're going to read that. I want to invite Jared Casper up, who's going to read our passage today from Mark chapter, uh, chapter 6, looking at verses 7 through 9. He's going to read 7 through 13 for context purposes. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Jared. Morning. Calling the 12 to him. 
he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. So that's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. This week, we're just really looking on the first few verses and just looking at the context that Jesus sent these men into and why. Um, next week, uh, Seth, who is one of our elders, um, he's actually going to be preaching. He's going to share with us the remainder of this uh, section, namely just the message that they carried, the message that they carried and some other details about the journey. But for today, as I looked at this passage, there's really four details that, that come to the top for me, four details through which we can use those as kind of on-ramps to discuss this risk-provision relationship that we have with God. Because in our relationship with him, he will call us to risky things at times. We will have to endure some difficult seasons, but his provision is always there and in much greater form. So there is this risk-provision relationship that happens when we follow after Christ. And the first detail I want to point out is the detail that we're going to spend mo uh, the majority of our time on this morning, and it's something that doesn't come off of the pages in Mark chapter 6. And so we're actually going to use Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew's account of the very same story, to look at this detail. Okay, in Mark chapter 6, we have a few lines from Jesus giving instructions as to how these men are to carry out their ministry. In Mark chapter 10, you have the whole chapter. There's a whole lot more there, right? And so let's start reading Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 5. Again, this is the same story, just a different gospel account. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. He says, don't, uh, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give, speaking of his power, right? Speaking of his power that he, he Jesus has given his power, so they're to freely give uh, uh, that power to other people through healing and through preaching and all of these things. Now, again, that's the context, but if you read through chapter 10, what you discover is that this was not an easy experience, because what he goes on to say, and this is, again, Jesus giving these guys instructions on what to expect whenever he sends them out two by two in pairs to the surrounding regions. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 10. Listen, look, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. Verse 22, we'll just kind of skim through. Verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Verse 23, when they persecute you, not if, by the way, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Verse 28, don't fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Why would you even warn about that unless that was a risk? Verse 38, 
A passage many of us know if we've been following Christ for a while, but one that we prefer to just ignore whenever it's talked about. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He gives all of this as instructions to his disciples. And so the first detail that I think we notice here is that what Jesus was sending these guys into came with much risk. The context was extremely difficult. This was not a missions trip to Disneyland where it's like, hey, go, like here's a $50 per diem for all of you to go get lunch and like enjoy your time. It's going to be really, really fun. But on your way, remember this is a missions trip, so like try to be kind to somebody. Right? It's, it wasn't like this just kind of like typical youth group mission trip. This was like, you're going, you're probably going to have your back shredded open because of flogging, all because of my name. Nobody's going to receive anything you're saying, and this is just a taste of what's to come. This is just a taste of what is going to eventually come. This was just a taste. And so, as the scriptures say in Matthew 10, they are to go to Gentile or Samaritan areas, not to, uh, they are not to go to Gentile or Samaritan areas, sorry, but they are to preach the message of Jesus to the Jews, which up to this point in Mark chapter 6, they have proven at this time to react harshly to the message of Jesus, Right? So they will be flogged, they will be persecuted, they'll be charged in court. They are like sheeps among wolves through which they get a taste of what it means to take up the cross of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Now that's a, just hard conditions. And it gets harder, right, the more we talk. But this particular detail just, just sticks out to me so much because I know how much pain and suffering and rejection and loneliness that people of the church feel. And I so desperately want us to understand the comfort and the provision of God in our lives or else we are going to be completely powerless as we chase him. Like we're going to claim his name, but we're not going to experience anything for his kingdom. If we are wrapped up, if we don't believe in his provision, we are going to be stuck. And so I desperately want us to understand and to know his comfort and his provision so that we would be thrust into kingdom work, not that we would be scared out of it. And we know for these men, these particular men, it's actually pretty cool. If you think about all of these instructions that Jesus gave, and he gave them to prepare them for what they're going to have to experience following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, right? You can actually track through Acts, and it's really cool to see how they followed these instructions to a T, right? They get persecuted, and so soon after, you're going to figure out that they're moving on to another town. Why? Because that was part of Jesus' instruction. When they persecute, you flee to another town. Like, you can track it through Acts. It's really, it's really pretty, pretty impressive. They were really good at following Christ. But just think about these men. Think about what was expected of them after Jesus had departed from the earth. That they would carry the cause of Christ and the message of Christ and carry the, uh, uh, the miracles of Christ and establish the early church And now we are still using their example and their teaching for our own spiritual fortification. Do you think that they would have been this way or done this or that the church would even still be standing if Jesus did not give adequate time to train and equip them and give them stretching moments like this? One of many, by the way, where he would give them a soft taste into the reality of what it is going to take from them. 
Jesus was so intentional with these guys. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew, in Jesus' mind, he knew that people in the 21st century would still be talking about it and still be encouraged by it. You see, that's God's provision in the mix. When we are in the thick of it and when we are pursuing Christ and opening our lives to be used by him, even if it gets hard, the provision is we know that he's going to use it for his kingdom. That is the provision. And it is so, so good. This is the provision. God's provision in times of stretching, stretching cannot be measured in dollars and comforts and privileges and freedoms. We love these things. But his, his provision is measured best in fulfillment and in promise. Fulfillment and promise. If you're in a difficult season right now, don't base your experience on how much money you're making or how good you feel or, you know, like if you just happen to be pain-free, that, yeah, that's good. These are, these are blessings, but these are nothing, nothing compared to the immense fulfillment that come from his promises, the immense fulfillment of knowing that you are growing to become more like Jesus Christ, the immense fulfillment in knowing his promise that he's going to use your stretching experiences to create his son in you, the likeness of Christ pouring out of your life. Is that not what we want? It's just that, in order for that to be the case, it's most likely going to come through seasons of stretching. More than anything else, it's most likely going to come through seasons of stretching, seasons of discomfort. Right? I could pick any of you right now and probably just say, you know, when was the pinpoint of time when you grew in the Lord the most, when you feel like the God, used, God used something to, to, to grow you in himself the most, and you will probably... Nine times out of ten, ten, point to some hardship you went through. And you'll say, out of that, God taught me so much. God brought me so much understanding about certain things. He, he revealed to me just this new level of his peace and of his, just how much I can find my satisfaction in him. And then we experience that, and then we live our Christian lives like, don't ever do that again. Thank you for what you taught me. Don't you dare do that again. Right? I wonder if there should be a little more of a welcoming spirit among us for times of stretching and almost a gladness even at the start because we know what he's going to create out of it. You knew where I was going after this, right? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. A.K.A., through seasons of persecution and trial, you can hold it with joy because you know that through it, you will, look like more, you will look more like Jesus Christ on the backside. And that's good. What a promise that is. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm just pulling off of some low-hanging fruit that are just eternal promises that we can hold on to. Well, there's hundreds more that we could latch on to as we embrace the stretching seasons while holding to these promises for fulfillment, for purpose, and for joy in our lives. Even amidst material loss. Even amidst death, as was the case with the disciples. Is that not just one of the most beautiful pictures of God's provision that you can imagine? A body of people content 
glad, living with purpose, unbound by the shackles of materialism, able to endure hardship. In fact, they seem almost unfazed because though they will shed some tears, they'll carry a smile and they will have joy in their hearts still. Man, is that not who you want to be? That's who I want to be. I'm nowhere close to where I want to be, but I want to be that. And that's how I picture Jesus. In the risk of immense difficulty, we see God's provision of promise upon promise for fulfillment and hope. Secondly, there's another detail that we find in the story, and I think this is just one of the most gracious parts of what we're discussing today. He said in verse 7, uh, we're back in Mark chapter 6, by the way, and Jesus um, when he's given his instructions. In verse 7, it says that he summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs. Let's stop there. Send them out in pairs. I think that's probably one of the most gracious lines of these few verses that we're looking at. Have you ever tried to do something so big and so remarkable and so beyond your capability and so stressful and so anxiety-filled and to do it all by yourself? It's miserable. That's a miserable experience. And Jesus spared these men of that misery, and he gave them the gift of each other. Go in pairs. No, I'm not going to send you out one by one to 12 different regions, right? Theoretically, I guess you could double up on your impact, but what good is that if you burn everybody out in the process, right? I'm going to send you out to six different regions, and I'm going to give you each other one to one, and you're going to go, and you're going to do this together, and you're going to bear together, and you're going to serve together, and you're going to share together. And the result of it is a whole lot better, like just so much better. He sent his disciples in pairs for his own benefit so that they could bear the experience together. You know there's nothing in the Christian faith that is to be done alone. You know that, right? There's nothing in the Christian faith that is to be done alone. And I think the only argument that could probably be made for this right, or against that, that concept is the personal quiet time. You're like, well, well, I don't know, Adam, but like me and my time with God, that's between me and God. So you're wrong, you know what I mean? Like that's just my time with the Lord. I'd be like, I suppose so, but what good is your time with the Lord if it doesn't make you better with other people? What good is your time with the Lord if it doesn't equip you and grow you so that you can be more like Jesus with others? In fact, if you're rightly spending time with Jesus, you will look more like Jesus, You will be his light. You will have the souls of others on your minds and hearts. And so at the end of the day, yes, it's still about people. It's still about others. You know, Jesus was God, and he gave up his nature of, he gave up his very self, as Philippians 2 says, so that he could come and have this attitude that's marked by servanthood. Like, we can't even understand the, the drama that is there. It's the most dramatic thing in all of human history that God would become man. It is unreal. And he did so. He became man, and then he became a servant to everyone. And then the scripture says that his attitude is like this, to consider others better than yourselves. To consider others better than yourselves. To, to look to the needs of others more than your own. That's wild. And that's what we're called to do. We need community. We need connection. We need to do gospel work, but we need to do it together. There are no rogue disciples. Let's be honest. Christian relationships are hard. I don't know. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you know this is hard. Like the most frustrating relationships I have are always with Christians, right? 
The, the people that I get most bent out of shape about are always Christians. The people I get most frustrated about, they're, they're always Christians. It's just, it's just it's what it is. Maybe it's because my life is just surrounded by Christians all the time, I guess. I need to get out of the bubble. But they're hard. They're difficult. They're hard to sustain. And I think for some of you to hear a pastor yet go on again about how we need community and you need to be a part of a small group and you need to, you know, get outside of just your family bubble and you need to get outside of your age demographic bubble and you need to get outside of just the bubble of people who think like you and talk like you and who live like you live. When you hear this start happening, anxiety starts shooting through your veins because you're like, I don't, I don't want to, Right? And then there's some others of you who, you know, theoretically you do want to, you say you do, but you're like, you know, I've been burnt by that before. I'm not going to do that again. I'm fine. My wife's a Christian. She's all I need. You know, I'm good. And listen, I'm with you 100%. It's hard to commit to the Lord to give yourself to a community of people knowing, knowing that, that he wants to use you and people not like you to accomplish greater things for his gospel. This is good. This is not community. This is a bunch of people gathered in one spot with a lot of loose connections and a lot of uh, uh, acquaintance greetings, small groups, personal connections, right? People in your home, that's the stuff we're talking about. That's community, that's relationship. And to make room for it requires sacrifice. Namely, you have got to make room in your heart and in your schedule. And if you don't have it, then there's no room. You can say philosophically, yes, I need it, because the Bible says so. But if you have no room in your heart, no room in your schedule for it, then it won't happen. It just won't happen. It's so funny to me when people sign up for small groups um, and they say, "Uh, I'm excited, I can't wait, but just so you know, I'm only available from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Fridays, every other Friday. Okay, like, cool, I guess we'll... Well, I mean, what do you expect from us? To find a group leader? To build a group for that one wild shot time? And like, we have nothing there. I'm sorry. We don't have a billion group leaders to, to supply every hour. Like, and then for you to be like, oh, you don't want me to be a part of small groups because you can't provide that way? Well, I don't, I don't understand this. You realize how like illogical this is, right? By the way, if you only have one hour free every two weeks, then... You are either the most important person in the entire world, seriously, the most important person in the entire world, or you just really don't want it. Those are the only two options there, right? If that's all you give us. But if you want it, listen, if you want it, then you have to make room. You have to make room. You've got to cut something out. You've got to incur the cost. If you actually believe that it's something that's going to be good for you and your soul, then you make room for it. You give something else up, and you make room for it. The other reason why this is so hard is because to commit to a body of people means that you have to care about them more than yourselves. And we are not good at that. We are not good at that. I'm not good at that. So to say, yeah, I want to be a part of a small group. I want to get plugged into the smaller, you know, group of people. I want want to get into community and relationship, but only if, only if they can meet my requirements. No weirdos in the small group. I don't tolerate weirdos, right? No wild card personalities. I'm not doing that. So-and-so can't be there too. We used to have this thing a long time ago, and that, you know, I just, I can't be in a group with it. Like, as soon as it all becomes about your preferences, the whole thing's corrupted. It's done. It's over. 
And it's hard <laughs> to not think that way, isn't it? By the way, every group has a weirdo. Like, that's just something you have to understand. I think I'm our group's weirdo. I don't know if they would say that, but I think I am. Like, you just got to be ready for that. But listen, before you start saying, I'm not going to be in a group with that guy or this, like, that person's weird. Like, as soon as you start saying that, listen, you're starting to, to edge into these areas of judgmentalism. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's got some stinging words for you. Should I read it? I'm going to go ahead and read it because I feel like somebody needs it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 20. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or weirder are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable because their social cues are a little off, we treat with special honor. What do you think God's going to honor more? You trying to earn the favor of a bunch of cool people or you stepping into a group knowing you're going to be challenged by people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, and who are kind of off the wall but need a little bit of grace because apart from this, they're not going to have anything. What do you think God's going to honor in your heart and in their lives more? If everyone truly sought the interests of others, then no one's without need. If we all truly stepped into this without our preferences in view, but with the needs and interests of others in view, then no one is left alone. And if you're here and you feel alone in your spiritual walk, I'm sorry for that. Like truly, that, that's a terrible place to be. I hate that feeling. I've been there for sure. Most of the times I've been there, by the way, it's because I've isolated myself. I don't know if that's your case or not. But if you feel alone, I understand you. I, I have felt the same way. But if we can just take the pathways, enter into community and relationship by just focusing on the needs of others and thinking, well, if I feel this way, somebody else feels this way, and so let me be the answer for them. And as we live that way and as we enter into community that way, we might discover that our needs and our interests will be met in God's provision. He could have sent each disciple out in completely different areas, doubled up his reach, Instead, he chose to send them in pairs and to give them the gift of each other, not only for still really, really good ministry, but for the, perver the, the, the preservation of their own hearts and their own minds. By the way, ministries like to do a whole lot of ministry on the backs of a few people, which is grind them into the ground. I love that Jesus chose a different way. I love that. What grace that is. Now, there's another risk that we see here, and we only got two more to discuss, so we're getting there, okay? Uh, another risk, starting again in verse 7, Mark chapter 6. He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. I love that. In Luke chapter 9, it talks about that. This is, again, same story, just Luke's gospel and not Mark's. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power. And he gave them authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And what we have revealed in this is this risk of just personal limitation, right? Helplessness, a lack of competency, a lack of ability to do what we feel like God's called us to do, right? I would imagine this is the feeling of every, every mom who just had her first newborn and she puts this living human being into her car and thinks, what the heck am I doing? 
Like, what is this? Like, I have to do, I have to raise this? Can I do that? Can I keep this thing alive? Like, I don't know if I have the ability. Well, he gave you the child. He'll give you the ability. Right? Like, this is a situation that we often find ourselves in, this place of helpless, uh, helplessness. We just don't know what we're doing. We don't have it in us, or at least we don't feel that way. But as we see Jesus delegate his power to these men to accomplish the ministry God called them to, he will do the same for you. He will delegate his power, his ability to you to do things that you didn't think you could do. For these men, it was to preach and heal and drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he's, these men had never done any of that. I mean, imagine how stressed out they must have been when Jesus was like, hey, you're going to do all these things. They're like, okay, that's fine, but you're going to come and actually do it for us, right? And he's like, no, I'm not coming, but I'm still going to do it for you. Imagine how stressed out they would have been by that concept. And yet, they entered in. And God did these things through these men. And as a result... As a result, God received all the glory because after all, it was all his power, right? It was all his power. That's always the risk. When he gives you a special thing to use for his kingdom, don't start thinking that that's your special thing. He gave that to you. That's his power. That's his ability working through you. That's good. But it's in that place of trust and dependence on God that he does his best work. He gets the credit, and we get the pure joy of knowing that God is using us for something good. And there is no greater joy. Now, lastly, the last detail I want to look at is here in verse 8, going into verse 9. This is what the Bible says. Jesus instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on an extra shirt. Right, let's, like, it's already bad enough. You're going into a hostile environment, right? There's only going to be two of you. There's all of these other circumstances that can happen. By the way, I'm going to send you with nothing. No material provisions at all. No extra food. No extra clothes. No food at all, actually. No extra clothes. No money. Now go. Like, my word. He sends them with no no material provisions to satisfy his call in their lives. And guess what? They'd never not, they never needed anything. They never needed anything. Because God has the entire world at his disposal. And if he calls you to something, he's got an entire world to use on your behalf to make sure that you are able to accomplish what he's called you to. He sent his disciples without money, without food, without extra clothes, and yet they were never without their essential needs met. And we know this because Jesus brings this story back up later in Luke chapter 22 before Jesus goes to his arrest and to to the cross. One of the last conversations he has with these men in Luke chapter 22, he says this. This is later down the road, right? He says to them, when I sent you without money bag, without traveling bag, or without sandals, did you lack anything? What a good question. Did you lack anything? What's their answer? Not a thing. Not a thing. Verse 36, then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And then he quotes the Old Testament. It says, and he was counted among the lawless. Right, the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus that he would be counted among the lawless, charged and executed like a criminal. 
And Jesus says, yes, what is written about me is coming to fulfillment. I'm about to die. I'm heading there. Grab your things and be smart about it. They didn't get it. And so in verse 38, they're like, Lord, look, we got two swords. He's like, that's enough. <laughs> like, I think Jesus is actually frustrated with them because they thought he was calling them to battle. And he was simply calling them to stewardship, to good stewardship with what he's given them. You think about Jesus sending the 12 to do ministry, preparing them and stretching them and to learn this whole new level of God's provision as they truly did not lack anything even though they took nothing. That's the major learning example, the learning, the, the lesson here. You had nothing and you had everything provided for you. Awesome. This should not be mistaken, by the way, as just carelessness with permission. Because later, as we read in Luke 22, before Jesus' death, he tells them to suit up. Now, grab your money, grab your clothes, right? Every part of me is wanting to be like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do the hide your kids, hide your wife thing. But that's the idea, right? Grab everything, suit up, suit up. Take your dagger, right? Now we read sword and we think sword and a half. Like I've seen too many just like Viking movies and stuff, you know, like when I read the word sword, I think immediately warfare. But in the Greek, this is not sword, this is dagger, right? And this is something that most people carried with them in that day. I mean, I used a knife probably 15 times last week and I never used it to kill anybody, right? Just because it's a sword or a knife doesn't mean it means warfare, right? I used it to pick rocks out of my shoes and, you know, cut my fruit and stuff like that. Like, it's a multi-tool, right? Take your possessions, take your tools, take the things that you need uh, to thrive. Take the gifts I have given you and use them well. Couple that with the fact that anything you don't have, I will give it to you. And you have a very refined, sharp ministry, if you can master stewardship and contentment and complete confidence and trust that anything you don't have to get the job done, he will give you everything that you need. That is good. That is good ministry. That is a good mind state to be in. Practice stewardship well with the great gifts he's given you to get through life and the things that you are lacking. Trust him with it. Trust him with it. He will provide. He will provide for you. I think that's a good reminder for us today as we seek to trust completely God with our needs and to act wisely with what he gives us. I'm curious if any of you feel lacking today. You've got disparities in your heart. You've got loneliness that you are dealing with constantly. You've got crippling factors in your life that are just keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. And I pray today, one, that if you are crippled in your walk with Christ because of some fear or because of something, that today would be a day that God would actually start to root that out. That he would give you the peace and the comfort and the confidence in his provision to start to remove that thing that you probably already know getting in the way. And I would say for a large portion of us today, I think gratitude would be a great takeaway, don't you? I mean, how many times do you go through life, do I go through life, and I just completely ignore or just whiff on the fact that he has done remarkable things in my life without even my notice? I mean, aside from the fact that I wake up every single day with breath in my lungs, that's a miracle in and of itself, 
But the way that he has just provided for me and my family, the way that he has provided for my ministry, the way that he carries me from one moment to another, the things that he's put in my life, the joy that he has given me to do what he's called me to do, like all of these things, I mean, there are so many seasons where I just go through and I just roll, I just roll with it without ever just thanking him, like just truly just thanking him for what he's done in my life. And so today, maybe honestly, the, the, the only thing that would be good for you today is to just have a time of gratitude with the Lord and just praise him and thank him for the way he has sustained you, the way he has sustained your family, and this way he has sustained your ministry, the way he's come through for you. Maybe today you need to recall a time in your life when you were completely at a loss, like completely at a loss, and he came through for you. Right? I got a family with three kids up here, and I shouldn't have them based on what the world would say. But through foster care and through adoption and all of that awesome, awesome stuff, I am able to have a family. But through that process, it was complete hopelessness, complete, like, helplessness. Like, I didn't have anything in me, and yet he still provided. Like, it's crazy. And you have those stories, too. So maybe today is just a day of gratitude, honestly. A day of gratitude, but if you are here and you are struggling with your belief that he will come through for you, I promise you, based on his promises... If you are doing it for him, and if you're leaning into obedience, he'll provide a way. He'll provide a way. So we're going to have a time of prayer as we just bring these things to the Lord. There's a few soft pulls on the screen, a few questions that you could use um, to guide your prayer time. But if you already have that thing, that thing that's just the buoyant thing that's just risen to the top, and you know what you're grateful for today, or you know what you need, then bring that before the Lord today. We have a few minutes of prayer, and then I'll come up and pray for us as we close. So take this time between you and the Lord.
pray together. Our God, we pray uh, for comfort today, that you would comfort us in our times of stretching, in our seasons of disparity and loneliness, knowing that um, immediate healing and, and pain relief isn't always going to be a part of the picture, but that your provisions will always be there, and that you will care for us, and that you will provide what we need, whether that be physically or, an emo- or emo- emotionally or, or uh, mentally, any other way to accomplish what you've called us to do. If there's anyone in this room who is just crippled, they're stuck, they've been put in a place of just, just a frozen state in their walk with you because they don't know how to proceed, they're, they're locked up with some sinful thing that they've been dealing with, they're locked up with some, I don't know, just some, some fear that's gripped them. God, whatever it is, I do pray that today they would have what they need in you to conquer that thing, to overcome it, not because they have it in them to do it, but because you would delegate your power to them for that. We're grateful for the gospel and the constant invite to forgiveness and hope that you've given us because of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ on the cross. God, would you be pleased to rescue us, as the psalmist says. God, would we be pleased to do your will freely and willing to give up anything we need to do, we need to, uh, to follow after you. We love you. Carry us into this Uh, the rest of this weekend and this week with you on our hearts, um, with your praise on our lips, and with the souls of others um, um, in, in in our place of just care and burden. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you guys so much. Have a good rest of your weekend. Have a great week. And listen, let us know if we can do anything for you. I know I said a lot about um, just, you know, don't, don't enter into community. Uh, just focusing on your own needs. But we want to know your needs because we want to come alongside you. And so please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Love you guys. You're dismissed.